Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thank you for joining us. As we promised on Wednesday, we're going to take a deep dive today into health care. A scintillating, easy-to-understand topic that is guaranteed to thrill everyone. Just kidding, but it's our obligation. We have to do this because it's 20% of the state's economy and the country's economy. And everybody is affected by it every day. We'll be joined by the interim CEO of OneCare Vermont. That is something called an accountable care organization whose goal is to make our health care cheaper, while improving quality at the same time. It is a magic trick that many have tried and most have failed. We will explore it with the interim CEO. At 10 a.m., we'll have our weekly discussion about politics and the world with correspondent Bob Ney. And at 10.15, we talk with Derek Brower from from Seven Days about his groundbreaking, heart-wrenching story this week about a young man from South Burlington and his ill-fated journey through the mental health system to prison and tragedy. And at 10.30, our new feature, Office Hours. We've been collecting your emails for the last few days with questions for me, and we'll be answering them. It should be loads of fun. And, of course, we will take your calls uh, at 802-244-1777. You can email me, last chance, if you want to get on the show, uh, last chance, vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. But first, our Friday essay. Today at the initiative of the George W. Bush Institute, U.S. Presidential Foundations and Centers for 13 Presidents since Herbert Hoover released a statement expressing concern about the health of American democracy The statement notes that while the diverse population of the United States means we have a range of backgrounds and beliefs, quote, democracy holds us together. We are a country rooted in the rule of law where the protection of the rights of all people is paramount. Americans have had a strong interest in supporting democratic movements and respect for human rights around the world because free societies elsewhere contribute to our own security and prosperity here at home. The statement reads, but that interest is undermined when others see our house in disarray. Without mentioning names, it called on elected officials to restore trust in public service by governing effectively in ways, quote, that deliver for the American people. The rest of us must engage in civil dialogue, it said, respect democratic institutions and rights, uphold safe, secure and accessible elections and contribute to local state or national improvement, unquote. Traditionally, ex-presidents do not comment on politics, and this extraordinary effort is the first time presidential centers have commented on them. It was only the Eisenhower Foundation that chose not to sign, although it did commend the defense of democracy. But the centers of Hoover, Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama all did. David Kramer, the Bush's 
The Bush Institute's executive director said the statement was intended to remind Americans that democracy cannot be taken for granted and to, quote, send a positive message reminding us of who we are and also reminding us that when we are in disarray, when we are at loggerheads, people overseas are also looking at us and wondering what is going on. One thing's for sure. All of this talking and arguing is just beginning on the way to the 2024 election for president and Congress and throughout the country. A first shoe dropped yesterday when senior advisor to former President Donald Trump, Peter Navarro, was convicted uh, by a, a, a jury of contempt of Congress. Navarro argued that his actions were protected because he worked for the president. His sentencing will come at a later date. This is just the beginning, and we're going to have, like it or not, we're going to have to talk about all of these issues, democracy and our politics, as we go through the next year. We'll try to make it as interesting as we possibly can. We'll be right back. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. And here's the question. How do we make health care better? I was just with a guy yesterday talking about how impossible it is to get an appointment, how we can't find a doctor, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a trope. Uh, we all talk about it. It's too expensive. Care's not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we've got the guy who is in charge of making all of this better. His name is Abe Berman. He is the interim CEO of One Care Vermont. He is an expert in how healthcare works, how it's paid for, and how it's delivered to patients. Berman also serves as vice president of revenue strategy for the University of Vermont Health Network, where he focuses on the transition towards value-based and fixed revenue streams. Now, that's a fancy word, which we'll get it. That's a fancy phrase for saying... We want to start paying doctors to keep us healthy as opposed to what we call fee-for-service. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, a disclosure, uh, Abe Berman is the interim CEO of One Care Vermont. Long ago, not so long ago, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess eight to ten years, I was a consultant to One Care Vermont under a, uh, under a previous CEO, so – uh, I'm not privy to any uh, top secret information, and um, I promise you that I will uh, give a fair shake to all sides in this discussion. Abe Berman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Boy, that introduction makes it sound like I'm the man behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> well, you're going to have to have a sense of humor because we got to, you know, it's healthcare, and oh boy. Um, okay. First of all, uh, tell us what OneCare is. Absolutely. Well, you know, first, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk a little about what we do. Uh, when I talk to the average Vermonter about OneCare, they sort of look at me quizzically as, as in, what is that? Right. And what on earth does it have to do with my care? So um really happy to have the opportunity to be here today with all of you. You know, Vermont's a, a – OneCare Vermont's a, a – locally operated and owned company that really just gives Vermont healthcare providers the necessary tools to provide the best healthcare possible. Think of it as the, the old Intel Inside sticker on the front of your, your PC. You don't really know what Intel does, but it sure, sure as heck makes your computer work better. 
the data that we provide uh, and the analysis really helps providers to have the flexibility to deliver the right care at the right time at the right place. And what I mean by that is, you nailed it earlier, the healthcare system isn't functioning that well. We're largely engaged in sick care efforts, not healthcare efforts. We're not proactive and we're less focused on prevention than we are in crisis management. And that's really why OneCare exists, to drive transformation. We just know that it takes time and it's hard to do. The best analogy I can really give you is, we all know that gas-powered cars have problems and they create problems for the world. We also know that transitioning to a world where we use electric vehicles to get around is gonna be really difficult. It's gonna like take a lot of time and there's just tons and tons of problems to be solved to get there. Same thing in healthcare. Going from a system that's really focused around crisis management to one that's involved in proactive preventative care is gonna take time, but we know it's the right work to do. Um, okay. Why should, well, let me, I'll go right to my personal question, which is, I'm a patient at the Richmond Family Health Center. Um, should I, should, is, should there be a sign when I walk in the door that this is a one care establishment or, or does it not matter? Um, should I just know that, is it enough for me to know that one care is sort of behind the scenes helping the Richmond Family Health Center do their work better and more efficiently? Uh, or do I want to know that OneCare is part of their practice? Well, first off, if you have a Vermont provider, there's a pretty good chance they're in our network, and R Richmond is in our network. Okay. Um, I don't think it makes too much of a difference, Kevin, that, that you know that they're part of the OneCare network. What's more important is that they've got the tools and the support from us to do the best possible work. Um, what I can tell you is we, we absolutely know that healthcare is too expensive and we know that there's not enough access. That's why we're engaged in the work that we're doing. The global pandemic really stretched and strained the delivery system to near the breaking point. And I, I think it, it also left a lot of patients that had underlying conditions in a situation where they, where they weren't getting the testing and the care that they needed. So you couple that with inflation and the shortage of doctors and nurses we have in the U.S. right now, particularly in rural areas like ours, and we know that's why we have to do this work. We have to find a way to help doctors and nurses be as efficient as possible and really focused on proactively caring for patients, particularly those that have underlying conditions or multiple conditions that need treatment and can't wait until they show up at the emergency room. So um, what prompted this model? How did we get here? Uh, I know you're not supposed to say the word accountable care organization, so I will. So the, the, basically, the healthcare reformers in this country, heck, going back to the Clinton era, Howard Dean do, trying to do it here. I mean, we've been on this road for decades. Uh, and we created this model called an accountable care organization whose job it was to move us away from fee-for-service medicine and towards something called value-based payments where the ACO or OneCare would pay, would make payments to doctors and hospitals uh, to incentivize them to not charge fee-for-service medicine but to, to, but to keep people healthy. Do I have that right? You do. There's so much jargon in there. Let me let me take that apart for your listeners. Go ahead. You know, this all came about as part of something we know as Obamacare, colloquially, you know, really the Affordable Care Act. And 
you know, it was an important part of that groundbreaking legislation because it created a situation where we could take a look at how the structure of the system impacts the way that patients experience it. And at the heart of it all was really trying to get better outcomes and better quality at a lower cost overall, because we know healthcare costs too much. And as part of that, to create a more sustainable system, because quite frankly, with the advent of electronic health records, which are really a computerized way that your doctors and nurses track all of the care they deliver to you, there's a ton of work they do that's sitting in front of a keyboard as opposed to actually talking to patients. And that just isn't sustainable over time. They can't see the same number of patients. So what was there to create more efficiency actually created a lot more work away from patient facing. So we want to get back to a place where doctors are doing their best work and nurses are doing their best work and working up their license, so to speak. Um, so what do we do? You know, by supporting healthcare providers with these resources and data, and shifting how they get paid away from, as you call it, fee-for-service, which the best way to think about that is paying somebody piecework for the things that they do, the number of visits they do, and instead paying for outcomes, which is what we want. We want people to get healthy fast. So let me give you a great example. The other day I was working out in the yard, like all of us were this summer. It was especially rainy, and there were plenty of ticks. I was taking care of my chickens, in fact. And I came in, and sure enough, my wife saw a big tick on my leg. Well, I carefully picked it off, and then I thought, boy, I probably should go to the doctor. Well, like all of you, I called my doctor, and I love my doctor. I've been with her for 23 years. I couldn't get anybody to even pick up the phone. Right. And now I'm worried. I know I need to get an antibiotic, but how do I get it? So in this new world that we want to create, instead of the doctor having to answer the phone, schedule me an appointment and get me in, we should be able to communicate with the doctor and their staff electronically and really get that quick prescription that's needed for one shot of antibiotic without ever having to take the doctor away from their busy work and their nurse away from their busy work during the day. And that's achievable when you get away from something called fee-for-service, which is you, the doctor only gets paid when they actually see you at the office or through a telemedicine visit and go to a system where the, their whole office can be utilized to deliver care for their patient panel without having to necessarily see each patient individually. Yeah, I, I have been in at my age, been in this system for a long, long time, and I am sh- always shocked when you get that blank look on the nurse's face or the person staffing the front desk, and you say, you know, I just need thirty seconds, and they say you have to make an appointment, and it is mind, it, it's just infuriating, um, and so that you're saying we're trying to get away from that so that you can get that 30-second question answered. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as sort of baffling as it is for us as the patient, it is equally frustrating for the provider that they can only get paid for that face-to-face interaction, when in reality they could solve the problem instantaneously as an office without really impacting the, the patients they really need to see. Um, this is about getting away from a model um, – that's oriented around things that you do and instead outcomes that you want. So, I mean, another analogy is when you pay for a job to get done, you don't pay for every nail to get hammered in in the side of your house. You pay because you want the siding put on your house and you expect an outcome that's right within a reasonable amount of time at great quality. That's what we want from healthcare. We want to get to a system where we're paying providers not based on the number of nails they hammer in, but on the outcome that they provide. Okay. Uh, now, 
you have can you describe sort of the guts of One Care Vermont? I know it has a board. I know it has it it, it was started by a combination of UVM, uh, Dartmouth, uh, Rutland Hospital, and others. Uh, where are you now in terms of your uh, corporate structure? Sure. Um, as I said, you know, One Care is a Vermont owned and operated company. Um, at this point, UVM is now the sole owner, but we are an active partnership and have all hospitals in the state in our network. And our board is comprised of a variety of providers across the healthcare spectrum. And what I mean by that is everything from federally qualified health centers to skilled nursing facilities, home health and hospice, independent care providers. We have a large board that really brings those stakeholders together, which, you know, in a way is a microcosm of what we're trying to do, which is build a collaborative so that the healthcare system functions better and more around the patient's needs. Um, what we really focus on in our mission is to partner with local healthcare providers to transform the system and have aligned goals. So by breaking down those silos in care, we can get the system to coordinate and communicate better. And what I mean by that is I'm sure you've experienced, you know, as we all have when you're on an illness journey, first you go to one doctor and then you go to another doctor and they don't really seem to be talking to each other. That's not patient-centered care. That's not putting the patient's needs in front of the individual legal structures and silos that we have within the system. Um, and it's hard to do that, it turns out. The healthcare system that has evolved in this country over the past 58 odd years since 1965 and the beginning of Medicare is very much oriented around individual players. It's not a team. And we need to get to that team concept, but it's not through having one company, because quite frankly, healthcare is just too sprawling to have one ownership structure. Um, as big as health systems like UVM and Dartmouth are, they're not all-encompassing, and we wouldn't want them to be. We want to have a variety of different types of providers and different structures in the organization, but we have to find a way for them to work together and to be kind of working off the same data so that they aren't repeating tests and repeating um, procedures that not only eat up a lot of money for the system, but don't lead to the fastest pathway to a cure and to health for patients. Right. Uh, I can imagine that my friends at the Richmond Health Center might say, might think of you as, oh, they're the government and they're here to help us. Uh, and they might, you know, in the coffee uh, shop after work, they might say, oh, my God, we got to meet with these one care people and they're going to tell us how to do our jobs. We've been doing these jobs for a long time. We're good at it. We don't need their help. Uh, how do you get over that? How do you get over the natural inclination of human beings to say, I don't want, uh, you know, the, the big entity from Burlington to tell me how to do my work? Yeah, I mean, that's really the beauty of the system. It, it's not the big entity in Burlington telling them how to do their work. We're really oriented around healthcare being local. And we don't come into a practice like Richmond and tell them how to practice medicine. We simply provide them with information and tools that they wouldn't have access to on their own. And the number one thing that I thought I'd hear when I took this role about three months ago was we don't want UVM coming in and telling us what to do. What it turned out, Kevin, was so interesting. It was really we're so happy that UVM's committed to this. And this is going to sound crazy, but they said our biggest fear is that UVM turns its back and doesn't want to work on this statewide collaborative anymore because 
although we have the desire and our boards have the desire to do this work and this transformation, we don't have the resources, we don't have the right people, and we don't have the infrastructure to do this work. It turns out you to build these pathways and bring in data from all the insurers that we work with and formulate that into a pathway forward takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, and takes a lot of capital. And you know, UVM and the other hospitals have really um, stepped up to the plate and contributed to put money in the system to go towards primary care, go towards preventative care. And what's so special for me after having worked outside the state for a little while between 2017 and 2021 is I haven't seen this type of work going on elsewhere. And just this week I had the opportunity to meet with folks from D.C. from the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, which runs Medicare and Medicaid, and they said Vermont's on the cutting edge in terms of not the technology we use, but the way we're trying to collaborate and work together as a system to do this work. But I'm not going to lie. It's not hard. And there are moments where we do have providers and hospitals in our system say, look, this is just too difficult and it's too hard to understand. Can't I just go back to doing what I did before? And I wanted to give you a couple examples of why when I talk to them about what we bring to the table and they, they hear from their staff of how great it is to get some of these tools and these freedoms, they change their mind. You know, two examples that come to mind are one, I talked about these different legal entities and the independent nodes of the healthcare system. Well, unfortunately, one feature of that, and, and you probably have heard of HIPAA, which protects all our healthcare data, it doesn't allow <laughs> providers to easily share data. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways. We want to have our own privacy. Right. But also, it has some bad things. One thing is, if you have an elderly Vermonter and we know they need to get care in a nursing home for a little while, right now they have to show up in an overcrowded emergency department and spend three days in the hospital, according to Medicare, until they're eligible for that nursing home stay. And I think we all know people who, they need the care of a nursing home, but they actually, the worst thing for them would be to put them, if they're feeling vulnerable, into an emergency room that's, that's crowded and has folks that have some real serious infectious diseases that could transmit to that Vermonter. Well, I tell you what, we're able to cut through the red tape. Because this program was started, again, through Obamacare, it allows certain waivers from these federal rules and allows us, if the doctor thinks it's appropriate, to send you right to that nursing home to get the care you need and then to transition you back to home really easily without ever having to go through the hospital. Um, that is a really unique thing. You know, another prominent example is over the last year, we've, we've helped get over 150 Vermonters that were struggling with mental health issues transported and admitted to the Brattleboro Retreat. And let me tell you, the Brattleboro Retreat does amazing work. But if we think about the geography of Vermont, they're not located near a lot of the places where people live in this state. And unfortunately, the restrictions around transportation mean that Typically, we haven't been able to get people that are 25 miles away or further in acute hospital, like in a, an emergency room, basically, transported because there is no way to get them there and have it paid for. And as we know, everybody's scrambling for money in this environment. Well, we were able to cut through that red tape and create a specific type of transport with specially trained folks who can immediately get those folks into a bed when it's available. Abe, could you tell us... Um you mentioned the tools that you give to providers to help them do things better. What, what are some of those tools exactly? So 
one of the issues that your your doctor has is they don't know all the things that are going on um, in your healthcare life and outside of your healthcare life unless they have that visit with you. Um, you may be working with a cardiologist or working with a neurologist or going to physical therapy and you haven't communicated that and it you may think that your doctor somehow gets that message well they don't um, we're able to provide information to your doctor's office that tells them a lot about what's going on that they maybe don't see and one of the things we really worry about obviously is maybe you were traveling you went to the emergency room and you were hospitalized for a little bit um, your doctor needs to know that as they think longitudinally about your care. What I mean by that is I talked about getting to preventive, proactive medicine as opposed to being reactive and having sick care versus health care. It's important to sort of see those early warning signs and to step in before things get worse. Um, a great example is, you know, my mother started having some dizzy spells about four or five years ago, um, and it turned out that she had a heart condition and that led to her having a little bit of a, a blackout and falling and breaking her hip. Um, now, if we'd gotten ahead of that a little bit and maybe diagnosed that issue, um, perhaps she wouldn't have had to go through that agony of the broken hip. Um, but unfortunately, nobody was seeing those subtle signals. And we provide tools that kind of give a comprehensive look to your doctor at what's going on in your healthcare story that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Okay, here's a here's a horror story. My father, uh, before his death he, at 93, um, had a tumor on his tongue, and uh, we went into NYU in New York City, and the surgeon said, "Yeah, I can deal with this." And you know, we had to go back. We must have had to go back three times, and putting a 93 year old in a taxi in New York City uh, with a walker is no easy feat. And then, uh, the day before the surgery, we get a call that said, you got to bring him in for a COVID test. Um, and so we had to pack him into a taxi again, take him back there, you know, all uh, four trips, uh, before the surgery. And it, it, it was just, you're just, you're seething with, with frustration and anger. And, you know, the healthcare people looking at you like, look, this is the system. There's, there's nothing we can do about it. It's not like we're going to change it. So, uh, you know, nobody knows better than you the sort of frustration that we feel out here because you're a citizen too. How do you at OneCare try to address this, this bureaucracy that just doesn't seem to work for people? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I'm sorry that your father had to go through that. I I certainly can sympathize, and um, it's it's really no shot at the heroes that work in healthcare as they, That's they right. feel trapped. They feel trapped in this system, Kevin. Yeah. And how do we help them out of it? We've got to give them tools, and we've got to take the chains off, right? So, in many ways, they feel handcuffed by the way they have to operate based on the way they get paid. We're trying to change the way they get paid and give them the right tools and information so that they can cut through red tape and get the right care for people. And be proactive. Again, just in your little situation, had you known all those pieces, you might have been able to prepare more effectively and not have to scurry around trying to get a COVID test or come in three times. And certainly if the, the system were more coordinated, and you know, this is no shot at NYU, I think they're in the same boat as many others in this difficult, challenging system that we have right now. Um, it's about having the care be centered around the patient's needs, not this bureaucratic system. Yeah. Um can you tell us 
Who created this system? How did it get created? Was it all in 1965 when we created Medicare or uh, because before Medicare it was just all fee for service and it was house calls, etc. when America was still a more agricultural, small town, community based kind of place. Those days are over. Uh, who created this system? Well, I wish I could point to one person and go back in time in my uh, DeLorean and fix it. <laughs> I think it's more been evolutionary, to be honest, Kevin. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things we've seen since 1965 is um, COVID aside, infectious disease has become much less of an issue um, in terms of cause of death for Americans, right? We much more die of, of long-term illnesses and what we call lifestyle diseases. Um, it doesn't mean that they're any less painful, but they last a long time. Things like um, COPD or congestive heart failure or diabetes or cancer, because we've gotten much better at healthcare, um, people can live a long time with these types of struggles. Um, but that has been incredibly taxing. So as, as great as it is that we're able to do that, um, these, these diseases require long-term care and expensive treatment and pharmaceuticals. And I think the complexity of the system has just magnified not through one person or one organization's bad intent, but over time, it's gotten really complicated. And what we're trying to do is, again, take out some of these um, things that I think Congress and others put in place thinking it was a, is a good idea and it was going to help. But in fact, it became just another piece of red tape and another checkbox that was more challenging for providers and hospitals to deal with. And it's gotten to the point where they spend so much time on this administrative runaround that you get the situation that you're, you and your father experienced at NYU with. You feel, they feel handcuffed by a system that's not set up to be patient-friendly. And we got to get back to that. Okay, let's get to some politics. Uh, it seems to me uh, – I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play dumb here um, – it seems to me that OneCare is a poor man's substitute for Medicare for All. Uh, I'll just pose that question and just have you react to it. I, I don't know whether I'm right or wrong or I'm way below, way beneath my pay grade here, but you're trying to, you're trying to do what Bernie Sanders is trying to do with Medicare for All, but the politics don't allow for Medicare for All, so we, we do the next best thing, which is create OneCare Vermont. Is, is that right or wrong? You know, I think the next best thing is a really way, great way to look at it. Um, if we could go back and blank sheet and start a new healthcare system, I don't think we do quite what we're doing right now. We wouldn't need something like an accountable care organization. But the reality is the genie's out of the bottle already. Right. And there are a lot of embedded interests that make it hard to change from where we are today. Um, so instead of trying to recreate something entirely, which as we know in you know our country where we've got some pretty strong beliefs on either side of the political spectrum – I think the one thing they agree on is that healthcare is not working. And this is something we can do and we can do as a state. Um, and there's provisions from the federal government to help do this work and bring different payers like Blue Cross, MVP, Cigna, Medicaid and Medicare together into one way so that instead of doctors having to worry about what type of insurance you have, just getting the care you need. And I can tell you every doctor and nurse I know is much more concerned with the conditions you have and wants to provide care equitably. They don't care about what kind of coverage you have. But at the same time, they're stuck in the system where they get paid differently depending on the type of insurance card that you have. We've got to break some of those barriers down. And, yes, 
it, maybe it is a poor man's Medicare for all, but it is a way of sort of streamlining and unifying the way they get paid so they can focus more on getting you healthy as opposed to just providing treatments to you. Okay. Uh, if this is all, is this working? Uh, you know, uh, first of all, let's, let's let you talk about the report that just, that came out from, uh, CMS, which every healthcare geek knows is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, they issued a report saying that, praising you, saying that OneCare is actually working. Why don't you tell us about what they found? You know, I think, first off, I'd say, Yes, it's working. Is it perfect? And are we even part of the way to where we want to get to as a destination? We've got a lot of work to do. But we've made some great progress. What the analysis showed, and this was done by an independent entity out of Chicago that was contracted by Medicare, is that by supporting providers, increasing access to preventative care, and paying for health outcomes rather than various services like tests and operations, Vermonters are healthier and we're reducing healthcare spend. And what I mean by that is we are healthier than most other states because of the work that we've been doing over the last two decades in this space. I also mean that our spending is not growing at the rate that we would have expected absent these efforts. Does it mean that healthcare spend hasn't grown? Unfortunately not. We know that the cost of almost everything has skyrocketed in the last five years, and, and healthcare is not immune to that. When real estate costs go up, construction costs go up, pharmaceutical costs go up, and oil costs go up, all those things impact how much it costs to deliver care. Um, at the same time, if we can use our resources more efficiently, it means that we can counteract some of that cost inflation of the underlying resources needed. So it is working, and that's what the report showed. We're getting better outcomes. Vermonters are healthier, but we still have a ton more work to do. One care. Abe has a lot of critics. Uh, you have to go to your regulator, the Green Mountain Care Board, from time to time to deal with your budget. You have to deal with a legislature that is notoriously uh, suspicious of uh, large health care institutions. And you have a governor who uh, is supportive and yet but not uh, doesn't uh, shout from the, the rooftops that one care is the greatest thing since sliced bread, I, if I was the governor, I probably wouldn't either because uh, many political careers have been dashed on the shoals of, of trying to reform health care. How do you, you know, do you guys feel like you're just isolated out there fighting this battle without much help from the government uh, and the legislature? Well, first off, um, change is hard. We know yeah. that, right? Right. Um, and, and I'm here to clear the way for providers and let them do their best work. Uh, this comes from um, a lifetime growing up uh, with a nurse. I often got dropped off by the school bus as a child at the nursing home that she worked at. Um, and I got to hear her complain about how dysfunctional the system was. And she, all she really wanted to do was, was keep people healthy and happy. And I can tell you, uh, she was always in geriatrics, and she still attends funerals for anybody she's ever treated, and she regularly visits a 99-year-old woman that um, is just a neighbor of hers, but she feels like, hey, nobody else is visiting her. I'm the one who has to do it. Um, you know, it's not easy to be a regulator, and it's certainly not easy as a politician to approach the third rail that is health care, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, the way I look at it, 
we don't need more folks trying to bail out the boat with buckets. We need to find the source of the leak and power up the bilge pumps. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I took on this role. I think we need creative thinkers that are focused on innovation and transformation. And I think you also have to have tenacity, right, and grit. So I take this sense of Yankee ingenuity of how can we use what we have? We're a small rural state. How can we best utilize the great hospitals, facilities, and care providers we have in the state and help them work together to do this tough work? Um, I don't care if I'm alone, and I don't care if I'm working in the shadows. We started off saying that I'm, you know, I'm the man behind the curtain. If I'm doing my job really well, um, the system works, and nobody ever knows that I was the intel inside. I'm fine with that. It's the providers out front that are doing the hard work. I need to give them the support with one care to do that work and start clearing the way for them and get some of this you know, red tape out of the way. One personal question. Tell us where you're from, and how did you come to this work? You know, uh, I, I grew up um, on Long Island um, and was originally from Connecticut, uh, but my family are, are all New Englanders. And um, I came to this work out of a, a love for trying to align systems and incentives so that everybody's working towards the same goal. So I want insurance companies, the government, hospitals, physicians, mental health providers, all these entities to align with the patient's needs and have the incentives lined up for them to do it. And, you know, I started off studying a little bit of psychology and economics, and I, I kind of, if you ever saw the movie The Beautiful Mind, I got really into the work of John Nash, which was right. how do you set up systems to get the work that you want? And that's, that's kind of how I got here. You ducked the question about where you're from. You were almost apologizing from Long Island. Let me tell you, I'm from New Jersey, so I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I, I grew up right on Long Island Sound, which to me reminds me a ton of Lake Champlain. Yeah. Um, quite frankly, I, I moved up here because I, I absolutely love it. And the irony is, Kevin, um, my family is originally from just across the lake um, in New York. So in a way, I was coming back home. That's where my great-grandfather was from. Uh, m- mine, too. Mine's from Virgins, oddly enough. Uh, in Look Ahead 20 Years, Abe, what what – will the system look like in Vermont after you have finished your work? I think we'll see a system where instead of kind of islands in each area are operating in in their own unique ways, we have some harmony in the way that we deliver care where it's still local, but we're utilizing similar resources and those communication pathways are opened up so that whether you're struggling with substance abuse or mental health issues, or a cardiac issue, you have access to a system that truly works together and is supported by the government, is supported by commercial payers. Because at the end of the day, we all want to live really healthy, productive lives. And if the healthcare system works in order to support that and understands the other things that impact your health, like your housing situation, your access to good, healthy food, and your ability to get out and just exercise and enjoy Vermont, all of that stuff comes together to form a proactive healthcare system that's keeping you healthy and not just focused on treating you when you're sick and then turning you back out into the world again. Uh, let me ask you this around my favorite analogy. Uh, we live in a capitalist society that, that is always pushing for efficiencies and profit. And we pour into a giant funnel all of that efficiency and profit 
and out the other end come a lot of bad things, externalities. Um, this is unhealthy food. This is uh, booze, cigarettes, uh, all sorts of unhealthy habits, gambling. And we expect you and your colleagues to fix it. And when you don't fix it, we get mad. Uh, and I wonder whether or not the people in your business need to some rise up together once and for all and say, if you exist on a diet of Doritos and beer, we're not going to see you <laughs> because we can't fix this problem. Uh, this is a problem that has been you know, delivered to us by the massive marketing of the, of the United States, uh, economy, uh, that markets bad things to us on a daily basis. What, what do you, what's your reaction to that? Well, Kevin, as somebody who grew up on nacho cheese Doritos. Yeah, right. I understand that. Uh, <laughs> I've become a much healthier eater as I've gotten into my later years and right. I have a high schooler of my own. Yeah. Um, you know, my reaction to that is no, we'll never close our doors. Um, our responsibility is to take care of people no matter what and to help guide them through this journey of life. And I, I never, you know, maybe I'm the patient, uh, patron saint of lost causes, but um, I don't want doctors to feel responsible for every bad choice their patients make. But I do know that they want to help their patients live the best life that they can live. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ted Lasso, but yeah. help everybody be the best version of themselves, right? Sure. Yeah, but it's, there must be, again, all life happens in the break room at, at, at wherever you work. And it just seems to me that your colleagues must sit around and say, these people are killing themselves and I can't save them. I, obviously, you're never going to close your doors, but somebody's got to tell us we are, you know, you are the problem and you've got to eat better. You've got to exercise every day and you've got to improve your, your habits. And that's hard to do well, as a, as a provider. There is, and you know, the first the first word of the organization I work in is, is called accountable, right? How do we, as I talked about aligning incentives, how do we have patients be accountable for their own health just as much as their providers are accountable for those good outcomes? Um, I think we got a lot of work to do in that area. It's not really the work that my organization is focused on, but I do agree that's part of helping the healthcare system function more effectively, which is having people be more invested in their own health. Yeah. Okay, last question. We had John Brumstead on this uh, show just after he retired. How is the hospital doing? How's the network doing? Uh, the You know, the, the word on the street is you can't get an appointment. Uh, you're spending too much money. The outcomes aren't that good, etc. It's all easy for us to throw the brick brats uh, from the outside. How's UVM doing? Well, first off, uh, you know, my hat's off to John. He was an incredible leader. I, I knew him a long time, and... Um, can't say enough good stuff. The health network is struggling. Um, and what I mean by that is it's a difficult time for hospitals and providers. I talked about the impact of COVID, and I, and I know we, we feel like the global pandemic is over, but the, the ripple effects of what our, our workers went through during that time and the economic effects that it had in the hospital have not ended. Um, that said, we're on the upswing in you know, I know that there was some access troubles, particularly just in, in the past couple of years. They're getting better because we're putting a lot of resource behind trying to improve it. And, you know, One Care Vermont works really closely with the health network because we have a shared value in doing this work and, and helping Vermonters to be as healthy as possible. And 
you know, our mission of partnering with local healthcare providers to transform the Vermont healthcare system is very much aligned with the values that the, the health network has. Um, I think that you're going to see that some of those anecdotes are changing as people get the access to care that they deserve and want, and they see their providers able to function in that proactive space that I talk about where they're really looking out for the long-term health of their patients as opposed to just triaging when they come in the ER. So things are on the upswing. Okay. Abe Berman, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Kevin, thank you for having me and um, really appreciate you spotlighting this good work that my team's doing. Sure. Go Long Island. Um, Abe Berman, he's the interim CEO of OneCare Vermont, and uh, he's got one of the hardest jobs in the state, but uh, we could spend another hour with him, and we'll have him back. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint. We'll be right back with Bob Nay from doing all things Washington, D.C. right after this.